Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Tonight's going to be good because we are going into the book of Romans. This is part seven. If you're following along, we have one more part and we are done. This will be our second to last book of Romans teaching. I'm sad. We're going to go into New King James Version, the book of Romans, amazing book written by the Apostle Paul, if you're new, to the believers in Rome. He had never been at the time when he wrote this book. And it has literally in the book of Romans all the essential doctrines like it covers everything it's incredible incredible book one of my favorite books in the entire bible presents the entire counsel of god let's make this fun so if you're following grab your notebook grab your bible grab your 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 phone bible whatever you need to do and follow along with us one of my goals in life is to make the bible exciting one of my passions is for you to get off of this broadcast at the end not yet and get excited about opening up the word of god getting passionate about the word of god the bible is alive This is not just a book that you read, it reads you. The Bible's living, active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will absolutely change you. Actually, it'll change you. It'll change your life. When you read the Bible, when you hear the Bible, it changes things. So tonight, there's going to be real, supernatural, life-changing power as we speak and preach and declare the Word of God. Again, if you don't like passionate, exciting teaching, preaching, and this is not the broadcast for you, you can go ahead and click off. Some of you say, why are you so excited? My question back to you is why are you excited about everything but God? Why in society is everything else celebrated to be passionate about, but we're considered crazy if we're excited or passionate about God? I believe that God is raising up a group of people that are excited about the move of God. I, I believe God is raising up people that say, we're going to be more passionate about the things of God than they are at the rave. We're going to be more excited about the move of the Holy Spirit than they are excited about grown men wearing tight pants chasing pigskin down a field I mean they chase it down one side of the field then they tackle each other they chase it down the other side and grown men shout and scream and get excited and then you look at me and say why are you so excited why am I excited about the God that delivered me that changed me come on somebody needs to stand up right now that gave me a new mind a new spirit a new heart a new a family a wife kids every blessing you can imagine. Isn't this something to shout about? Isn't this something to be excited about? So I will never apologize for being too loud, talking too fast, or being too excited. You should apologize for not being excited. You should apologize to God. God, I'm sorry that I'm passionate about everything else but you. Let's get excited about the word of God. All right, praise the Lord. Let's recap some of this. For those of you that are just jumping in, last week we did chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 11, Paul explains that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a descendant of Abraham, and he becomes exhibit A in why God is not rejecting the people of God. He says, listen, if God saved me, God has not rejected Israel, but God desires for Israel to repent. Israel's fall opened the door for the Gentiles to enter the kingdom of God. Basically, because the Israel because Israel fell and the Jews rejected Jesus, it opened up the door for the Gentiles to receive salvation. Paul calls this riches for the world and riches for the Gentiles. As the apostle to the Gentiles, he spoke to the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Paul was hoping that when he preached to the Gentiles, they would get jealous and say, wait a minute, why is God blessing the Gentiles, prospering the Gentiles when we are his chosen people and he's not blessing us? And it's because they rejected him. So it was to provoke them to jealousy. Someone said, I'm late. It's all good. We're just getting started here. Paul presents the olive tree metaphor. That's Romans chapter 11. We're recapping last week. The branches that were broken off made room for the Gentiles to be grafted in. But the fact that they were broken off shows the unbelief in the Jews. They were God's original plan. The branches got broken off because of their unbelief and God grafted the wild olive tree was the Gentiles. We are the wild olive tree that God grafted back in. But Paul, Paul warns the Gentiles of this. And this is something we all get tempted to do. Don't think you're high, lofty, exalted, and better than everybody else because God has accepted you, called you, anointed you, chosen you. Don't sit there and say, oh, they're, you know, they rejected God, the religious people down the road, because he said they were supposed to be in the tree. How much more can God break you off and graft them in if they were originally part of the branch? So we are not to get high and exalted and arrogant and puffed up. I don't ever want to get to a place where I say, 
I'm Isaiah Saldivar. God chose me and didn't chose you. That's wrong. That's not the way to be because the same way they were broken off, God can break you off. So have the fear of God that God can break you off the tree at any moment. It's no game. Chapter 12. God does not want animal sacrifices under the new covenant. He wants us to be living sacrifices. This is the thing. We don't bring animals in any longer. Thank the Lord. I mean, imagine what our services would smell like if we had to bring in animals to the altar and sacrifice them. Have you ever thought about that at church? Thank God that we don't have to kill animals anymore. Thank God that we don't have to sacrifice animals. But now the new covenant comes as my glasses are dirty. The new covenant comes and now we give our bodies as living sacrifices. Now we become the offering. We become the sacrifice. So don't put something at the altar, jump on the altar, become the sacrifice. And that's where the fire falls in the upper room. They became living sacrifices. If you haven't given your body to God, he wants your body. He's looking for you to sacrifice your hands, your mouth, your feet. And in denying God, when we don't let him speak through us, we are denying him. When we don't let him lay hands on people through us, we're denying him. When we don't let him do things through our bodies, we're denying him. He needs us. Okay. The Holy Spirit partners with us. He's the helper, not the doer. We're in the great co-mission with him. And so we want to make sure that we give our bodies. That's true worship. I, I know there's a lot of first time people in here tonight, so I'm, I'm sorry to break your bubble, but true worship is not repeating words off of a screen. True worship is giving your body to God as a living sacrifice. God is not looking for karaoke Christians. He's looking for Christians that have laid down everything. Okay, sin has changed our minds, so we need to renew them in order to live transformed life. We need to renew our minds. Tonight, there's a couple thousand of you. We are getting our minds renewed. If you didn't know what you're doing here and you're tempted, maybe I'll just click off this video. If you don't want your mind renewed, then go ahead and just leave and go do whatever you're doing on a Monday night when it's 104 outside. But if you want your mind renewed, stick around because as we preach the word of God, your mind's being renewed. My mind is being renewed. So we're, we're renewing our mind. We're actually getting cleansed by the word of God. We're transforming to become like the word of God, not conforming to be like the culture. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Also, we need to have humility. Jesus represented humility in washing feet. Paul represented humility. We, if, we, if we want to be useful to God and not a worthless Christian, we need to represent humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm a nobody. Oh, you know, God, that's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. That's a good word. Type that in the chat. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Preferring other people over yourself. Some of you husbands need to learn how to do that. Also, lastly, love must be sincere. God wants us to love the world. Love those that are sinners. Love those that are broken. We must overcome evil with good, not evil. We must contend for the faith and we must walk in holiness and purity. We love. Okay. So when people curse us, we respond to them cursing us by blessing them. When people slap us in the face, we say, Hey, that really hurt. Would you like to slap the other cheek? When somebody steals from us, we offer them something else. This is a life we're called to live. It's anti-culture. And by the way, let me warn you, I'm going to say a lot of stuff tonight that's anti-culture. It's anti what you've been taught. And so I'm just warning you ahead of time. The stuff that Paul taught is anti what American teaches, what Western Christianity teaches. That leads us into Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. If you have your Bible, open it up. I need to give you the context of Romans 13. The question that Paul is going to address is this. How can the Roman Christians entrust themselves to a government that persecuted them, denies them basic civil rights, and later would execute them for being Christians? Now, there's many of you in America. There's many of you not in America. And many of you live in a country that persecutes Christians. Many of you live in a country like America that has no respect for Christians or whatever it is and you can't stand the country you live in, you say, I'm not going to submit to the laws. I'm not going to submit to the president or the governor or whoever it is that you can't stand. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. How could this government who's anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-everything be ordained by God? And how could God expect me to submit? Like, how can I submit to a government that's killing Christians? So that was the question going on in Rome. It's relevant today. It's relevant back then. Have you ever asked that question when you look at the government? How is it possible that God's in charge of this? Come on, has anybody ever looked at the White House and going, how is it possible that God is in charge? So the question is, is God in charge or not? And the answer Paul's going to, Paul's going to answer this by saying, yes, God is in charge and God is actually, oh, I know some of you are going to hate me to say this, but I'm going to show you this in the Bible. 
oh man, it's hard to say. God elected the president. If you didn't know, if you didn't agree with your prime minister, your president, the king of your country, God actually, according to scripture, elected them, chose them. Whether this was grace or judgment, we could we'll, we'll decide that tonight. But I will say this, God absolutely elected them. God is in control. So we must respect the government, whether we like it or not. All of you that are like, America, that are going to be mad at me tonight. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the book of Romans. Get mad at the apostle Paul. Take it up with Jesus because God has elected them. And I'm going to say some really challenging stuff tonight, but it's biblical. So stay with it. Proverbs 8, 15 through 16. God says, by me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, this is God speaking, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. So God says it's by me that priests, kings, rulers, dictators, prime ministers, governors, they rule and they reign. It's by God's design. God is the final authority regardless of who is sitting in the White House or an authority in your country. The country's decisions are not made by the White House. They are made by God. God is sovereign and complete control of what the, what's happening in the world. In my opinion, okay, I'm going to give you my opinion on this and I'm going to give you verses and I'm going to go through and teach you this about governmental leadership, police officers, all this stuff that we deal with in society. I believe that when we have bad presidents, okay, I don't need to tell you if we have a bad president or not. I think you all know the answer to that. Bad presidents are a result of disobedience. Whenever we are in rebellion and disobedience, God allows and God elects bad rulers, bad kings, bad presidents. If you don't think that, go read the Old Testament so that we become in bondage and slavery. So we cry out to God for deliverance and we seek the Lord. Because here's the issue with America and with society. When everything's good, when we are being blessed, when everything's fine, what happens? We don't serve God. In prosperity, we stop seeking the Lord. So God has to put leaders over us that enslave us so that we will turn to him for guidance. Because when we have good presidents, we don't seek the Lord. We don't care about God. In our prosperity, we forget the Lord. This is the tendency of humanity. So then God puts terrible leaders over us, which God does elect leaders, and some are terrible. God elects them, and I believe it's, it's a sign of judgment. So I believe when we see these leaders, we're under the judgment of God, but I'm going to show you what Paul says about this, regardless of whether we like the leaders or not, we are to obey them because remember, God is ultimately, write this in the chat, God is the president of the universe and nothing will ever change that. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, how much money you have, what political power you've established, God is the president of the universe. He rules all things. Not one bird falls without God seeing. Not one hair falls off your head without God knowing. Every single thing that happens in the earth, God knows and God is in control of. God, for not one moment, has fallen out of control. There's not a moment in time where God lost control and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to figure this out. God is always in control. So let's look at this. Romans 13, 1. This is what Paul opens with. Paul is no joke, y'all. Again, if you get mad about it, just go to Paul. I mean, go to Jesus about this. Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And let me say that one more time for those of you that are sitting in the back tonight. Let every soul, every single soul, be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So, Every authority that exists, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's your sheriff, whether it's the chief of police, whether it's the, the guy that runs the, uh, the political powers in your nation, whatever it is, God has elected them, the Bible says. And I want you to note, Paul says, let every soul, not only Christians, but literally everyone, that's what the Greek translates to, nobody's exempt from this. Doesn't matter how you feel, God is commanding them, or God has put them there, and God is commanding us to be subject to governing authorities. Why? Why should I listen to the government? Why should I follow the speed limit? Why shouldn't I do what my government says to do? Because God says all authority comes from me and those who exist are appointed by God. There's no government that exists without God establishing it and God having a say. We must also remember the historical context of the Roman people. And like I said, I'm going to make a lot of you mad tonight, but I'm going to make you mad with the word. So please just stay with it. And then we could pray for you later. Let's look at the historical context of the Roman people. Jews had been kicked out of Rome by Claudius and had only been allowed to re-enter when Paul wrote this letter. So the Christians were literally kicked out of Rome. They were allowed recently to re-enter. The Jewish Christians who returned felt hostility for the Roman government because of the way they'd been treated before. So the Christians in Rome get kicked out by Claudius. Now they get brought back into Rome. And do you think they're bitter? 
Do you think they're angry that they got kicked out of Rome? Of course they are. And so this is what Paul is addressing. He's saying, listen, guys, I know you don't like, and trust me, the Roman Empire was way worse than whatever your president, your prime minister, whoever it is that you can't stand, you think they're terrible. The, the Roman Empire was much worse than this. And Paul is saying this, listen, God has established them. I just lost my chat. So I hope you guys are still here. Type something if you're still here. But Paul is saying God has established them and God has put them there. So you need to subject to their authority. You need to submit to their authority, whether you like it or not. I have no chat. I hope you guys are there. Okay. It looks like some of you are still there. Type one. If you are Romans 13, two through three, therefore, whoever resists the authority, listen to what Paul says, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you'll have the, you'll, you will have praise from the same. Okay. So now Paul is saying, if we rebel against authority, okay, I see Facebook chat, YouTube's gone, but it's okay. Hopefully they're still connected here. Paul says, if we rebel against authority, we will be punished. When you resist authority, you are resisting God. So it's clear. We are called to live by the laws of the land. And if we want to remain in right standing with God, breaking the law, this is new for some of you, breaking the law of sin. I know, I know. Some of you are like, what? It's a sin to break the law. When you go over the speed limit, you're breaking the law. When you're not wearing a seatbelt, I'm sorry, let me say that again. When you're going over the speed limit, breaking the law, you are sinning. When you don't wear a seatbelt, you are sinning. When you don't listen to governing authorities in your nation, in your country, the rules they set out, you are sinning. Now, there are exceptions to this. I'm going to show you later, but breaking the law is a sin. And here's why it's a sin, because you're resisting the authority that God has placed. God has placed those authorities in those rules and you resisting it is actually resisting God. So it's clear what Paul is saying that we are to live. Thank you. Someone said YouTube's still going. I can't see it, but thank you. It's clear that we are to live by the laws of the land. If we want to remain in right standing with God, breaking the law, type this in the chat is a sin. And what he's saying is if you, if you want to be unafraid of authority, and he's talking about those that enforce the law, this is law enforcement officers. Today, these would be police officers. If you don't want to be afraid of them, of the authorities, here's the key. Are you guys ready for the secret Paul's going to give us? Don't break the law. That's how you stay away from trouble. You won't have stress that there's an unmarked police behind you if you're driving the speed limit, wearing a seatbelt, and not doing anything wrong. That's what Paul is saying. If you want to be unafraid of authority, then don't break the law. Those that hate the police, which is very big right now, it's, it's literally trending to hate law enforcement. That's demonic. I'll talk about that as well. The only people that hate the police are the ones that break the laws. And you said you shouldn't have to worry about it if you obey the law. You shouldn't even have to even deal with the police if you're doing what is good. Do you know how many times I've had bad run-ins with police officers? Zero times. Why? Because I'm not out messing around. I'm not out late at night, driving crazy, acting crazy, living crazy. And then some of you might say, well, well, Isaiah, in my country, I get mistreated by the police when I'm not doing anything. So what should I do if I'm mistreated? You submit and let God handle the results. You don't fight back. We don't repay evil with evil. Now it's evil for a police officer to mistreat somebody anywhere, whether it's America, foreign country is absolute evil. It's terrible for a police officer to mistreat their authority, but we don't repay them with evil. We repay them, repay them with good and blessings. The Bible says, and we leave the results to God. Remember God says, vengeance is mine. You don't take vengeance on law enforcement. You don't take vengeance on someone that hurts you. You allow me to take vengeance. Now, what if I'm, again, if I'm mistreated, I submit and I let God handle the results. It doesn't say only obey authority when your best interest is in mind. Remember, Paul's writing to Christians who the authority wanted to kill them. I want you to remember this. Paul is writing to Christians who the authority is wanting to kill them. So you don't have it worse. Well, it's worse because I got a ticket and I didn't deserve it. Okay, but they didn't try to kill you and they were trying to kill Christians. Now, if a law, this is where it's very important that you pay attention here. If a law contradicts the word of God, we uphold the word of God over man's law. So Paul says, respect authority, respect governing laws. But if the word of God is violated or the law causes you to sin against God, what do you do? You obey the word of God before you obey the laws of man. There's a law saying, if there's a law saying everyone must kill their child, which that happened in the Bible. If you didn't know there was a law going out saying you need to kill your kid. If there's a law saying you must kill your child while they're in your womb, 
Do you obey that law? Of course not. You disobey the law. If there's a law saying everybody must watch an hour of pornography, which of course that would, well, maybe it would happen. I don't know the hour that we're living in is pretty crazy. Do we obey that law? Of course we don't obey that law. We don't obey things that violate the word of God. That's not what Paul is saying. So don't twist and say, Isaiah says we're supposed to obey the laws even if they're against God. No. If your boss, who's your authority, tells you to do something that violates the word of God, of course you disobey your boss. If your pastor tells you to disobey your bo- disobey God's law, of course you don't disobey God's law. So Paul is talking about things that don't violate God's word, not things that violate the word of God. There are countries where the Bible is banned. Some of you watching, you live in a country where the Bible is not allowed, where men go to prison and women go to prison for handing out Bibles. This is, Paul is not saying obey them and don't hand out Bibles. Paul is saying we obey the laws, the authorities God has placed, but when a law commands us to go against the word of God, God's law is a higher authority. And I have to keep saying it over and over so you don't twist what I'm saying and make a video about it. God's law is a higher authority than man's law. Romans 13, 4. This is what it says. This is what it says about governing authorities. For he is God's minister to you for good. So Paul is saying the function of government is to be God's agent for good in that government, in that government provides a rule of law that guards against anarchy and the excesses associated with anarchy, craziness, lawlessness. So God uses these government government officials, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a, um, a politician, doesn't matter, to enact laws that protect us from anarchy. They're God's agents for good, even though there are corrupt ones, even though there are bad ones, they create laws that protect us from things like murder, things like robbery, and even bad governments provide roads and streetlights. Okay, so even bad governments do good things. God even uses them. Authorities and governments uphold laws which keep society running. Without authorities, society would completely crumble. And this is what Paul is trying to talk about here. There's an entire movement right now going on to try to remove law enforcement. Have you guys seen this? They're making laws now where they're trying to remove law enforcement from cities and they're having, you know, city workers and stuff like that. That is a spirit of lawlessness that doesn't want any law enforcement. Why? So we're not accountable to anyone. We're not accountable to anything. Anyone just kinds of live how they want, do what they want. Friend, if you remove law enforcement, governing authorities from society, all out chaos would break out because men are inwardly sinful. They're inherently evil. And without governing authorities holding that moral restraint, it would be complete chaos. And the world right now, okay, a lot of people on the left right now, they want to remove law enforcement. They want to be lawless. It's a demonic spirit. They want to do what they want to do with no consequences. We see places that remove law enforcement and it turns into rioting, looting, and all of that terrible stuff. This is the lie in the garden. There's no consequences. Do whatever you want to do. This is the lie that the devil came to Jesus. Hey, you can do this law, live lawless, Jesus, and it'll be fine. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lawless spirit lawlessness is demonic when you see these riots and this looting and people screaming shouting about whatever whatever topic they're mad about this week okay it's not just one topic there's tons of riots always going on for every topic you could think of this is a spirit of lawlessness when you see people breaking into stores taking mom and pop shops and destroying them and beating the wife in front of the husband and beating the husband and killing the the store owners and looting everything and running out that's an unclean spirit in these people of lawlessness breaking laws this is not of god and this is what we are seeing in the hour that we live in romans 13 4 through 6 but if you do evil this is what paul says be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is god's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil it's talking about governing authorities here okay governing authorities doesn't say they're christian it just says they're god's ministers to to execute wrath on those that practice evil therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath but also for your conscience sake for because of this listen to what paul says for because of this you also pay taxes for they are god's ministers attending continually to this very thing oh man it's getting hot in here paul says you better be paying your taxes and submitting to these authorities paul gives us two reasons two reasons why we should obey authority let me try to close the chat here and reopen it and see if i can pick you guys back up on youtube two reasons why if you're taking notes we should obey governing authority reason number one avoiding punishment 
There's real punishment when you break the law. There's real punishment when you disobey man's law and God's law. If you speed, you're going to get a ticket. And good luck saying, well, I don't have to pay it. God has forgiven me. That's never worked ever. There's real laws that we need to obey, and we're not exempt from obeying these laws. So it's very, very important that you understand that as Christians, we are not exempt from the laws. We are still required to live by the laws of society and live by the land. Thank you, Jim. Said YouTube's good. Okay, I can't see it, but I'm glad it's still up. So number one is avoiding punishment. It says, this is how, this is what you need to do. Be afraid. Avoid punishment. There's a real sword of execution and, and real law enforcement. Number two, our conscience demands us to obey the laws. When you break the law, for example, and you kill someone, you're violating your conscience because it built into every single man is a conscience that says it's wrong to do this. It's wrong to kill somebody. It's wrong to, I could go on and on and on, but I'll get the video taken down for community guidelines. All of these terrible things, the laws, the man's laws say don't do. If you do them, you violate your conscience. And so the law demands us or, or our conscience demands us to obey the law. And Paul ends by saying, because of this, you also pay taxes. And these are God's ministers attending to this very thing. So do we have to pay taxes for all of you that are running from the IRS faster than an Olympic runner? Are you called to pay your taxes before God's eyes? Okay, forget about the IRS and forget about all that. Some of you shiver when I say the IRS. I don't like the IRS as much as you do. Are we required as Christians to pay taxes? If I cheat my taxes, will I be responsible for that on judgment day? Come on guys, let's get real. Will God, will I be sinning against God if I cheat my taxes and don't pay them? The answer is yes. The Bible says we have to pay our taxes and I'll show you this even after. It's wrong they cheat on your taxes. If you hate taxes, I hate taxes by the way as well. We still are required to pay them and obey the laws of the land. The people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? They're, they're demanding us to pay taxes. And Jesus responded by saying, show me the coin used for taxes. And they brought him a coin and he said, whose image is on it and whose title is on it? And they responded by saying Caesar's image. And he replied, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His point is, yes, we pay taxes, but here's the greater reality. I, whose image is on me, I am made in the image of God and I bear his title and his name as an adopted son. So the same way you give money to Caesar, what belongs to Caesar, I'm in the image of God and I give myself back to God by truly serving him. My life belongs to him. By serving him, I'm simply giving him back what rightfully belongs to him. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Whose image is on Isaiah Saldivar? God's image. I'm made in the image of God. I'm, my title is an adopted son of God. And so I give God what belongs to him and that's my life. Your life belongs to God. If you are a believer, return your life to God. It's your reasonable service. It's the most you can do and it's the least that you can do. Romans, and trust me, I don't like paying taxes more than any of you. I live in California. Our state income tax is like 13%. It's the highest in the entire country. So don't, don't think I'm saying this lightly. If it wasn't for this, trust me, I would be like, oh, how could I not pay taxes? But we are required to stand in right standing with God and to live a sinless life free of sin in our lives is to pay taxes. Romans 13, seven through 10. Render therefore, it's gonna get, it's gonna get hotter guys. It's gonna get more convicting here. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he, for he who fulfills another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. If there's any other commandment are all summed up by this saying, namely, so all the commandments are summed up by this, Paul says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul sums up all the laws with this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of us, don't get quiet, chat, love ourselves to an extent. Most of our lives revolve around bringing pleasures to ourselves, bringing promotion to ourselves, doing things that make us feel good. I know you probably don't believe this, but you love you. You really do love you. I mean, we're the first generation to make entire pages about us and then wait for people to like the page that we made that's all about us. So don't hear it sit here and say, I don't love myself very much. Yes, you do. Your entire Instagram is selfies. We know you love you because every picture you post is you. And Paul is saying the same passion and intensity you have to love for yourself, 
and love yourself. Love your neighbor like that. So the same intensity you have to, to give yourself pleasure by eating wherever you want to eat or posting yourself, you're doing all the things you do for you, which you do a lot of stuff for you. Love your neighbor with that same intensity. The Greek word for neighbor is the people around you, those that are near you. So your neighbor is your family, your friends, your coworkers, your colleagues, the people at church, the people that ring up your groceries, whoever is near you or around you in your proximity, love them with that same intensity. And in that love, bring them the good news. You are called to bring your neighbors the good news. So don't sit here and say, I don't love myself. I, you know, I hate myself. No, you don't. Okay, you have a Facebook page all about you. You have 100 selfies on Instagram. You go out to eat at your favorite restaurant. You get your DoorDash of the place that you want. You get the career that you want. You get the house that you want. Everything is about you, 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 and we don't consider our neighbor. And Paul says the same intensity you have to drive 45 minutes to sit in Chick-fil-A drive through for 30 minutes to get the chicken sandwich after spent an hour and a half to get it so you can have a little bit of pleasure to eat the food that you want because you really love you, which is nothing wrong with doing that. I'm just saying you do love you have that intensity about loving other people and loving your neighbor. Okay. I'm just saying some of you are like, I don't love me. Don't lie. We all love ourselves to an extent and it's okay, but just love other people the same way you love yourself. When Paul says, give people what you owe them. He's not just talking about money you borrowed or paying for a book you kept too long. He's also saying you owe the world the good news. You're in debt to the people around you. They deserve to hear the good news. They deserve for you to lay hands on them. You owe them this. I, I owe you hope. If I see someone demonized, I owe it to them to cast the demon out of them as a Christian. If I see someone sick in body, I owe it to them as a Christian to pray healing over them. You owe your family the gospel and it's time. Come on. I hear the Holy Spirit saying it's time to pay up. Stop staying silent. Stop playing games. Stop holding out. Render to them what is due for the sake of the kingdom of God. When Paul says render to them what is due, you owe them the gospel and the good news. So, so pay up. Give them deliverance. Give them healing. Give them the gospel. Stop playing around like you don't owe them anything. Romans 13, 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and not in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So Paul is saying do this, because the time is short. That's the title of the video. Do this knowing the time. And the word time means kairos. It means an occasion, an opportunity, a window, a due season. Paul is saying you need to know the season that you are living in. You need to know that time is limited. You don't have time to play church. You don't have time to play games. You don't have time to mess around. You don't have time to warm a chair. There's a small window. It's fleeting. So get out of la la land. Now's the time to turn from your sin. Now's the time to be radical for God. The days of warming chairs are over. Don't let your life pass you by while you sit in church. Don't let the world go to hell while you sit in church on Sunday. The days of apathy are over. Come on, where are you tonight in the chat? The days of being indifferent are over. The days of doing nothing for God are over. Now's the day to seize it and to do what God has called you to do. So Paul is saying, do this knowing the Kairos moment, the window of time, the opportunity, the life opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. When I was at the altar and God spoke to me and said, Isaiah, I have a plan for you. That was a Kairos moment. I can't, you know, disobey God for 15 years and then go back to that moment and expect to have the same results. There's a window of time when God speaks to you, when God said there's going to be revival in your home. And I responded to God in the time, in that Kairos moment that God spoke to me. So you need to seize the day. This is the concept Paul is saying. Do you know what time it is? Do this knowing the time. He's going to tell us what we need to do. Jesus, remember, reprimanded the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, you can look at the sky and know what weather is like or what time it is in the day. He says, but you're clueless of knowing what time it is in, a spiritual, in the spiritual realm. Because when the Messiah came, the ones who, who was the one who was prophesied about, they studied, but they missed him. They knew all about him, but they missed their Kairos moment. And I'm afraid the American church at large can tell the time in the natural, knows what celebrities are doing, knows what the world is doing, 
but is missing what God is doing in a spiritual aspect. We don't know what time it is. Paul says, redeem the time. The Bible says in the last days, there will be men who love themselves. They're going to hate good and love evil. They're going to be lovers of pleasure, lovers of self more than they are God. In other words, they're going to love everything else first before they love God. God is going to be second to them, third to them, fourth to them. And they're going to love so many other things before they love God. And many of you listening right now, you love God, but you don't just, you don't love him first. You don't love him the most. Like you love your job more than God. You love your kids more than God. You love your wife more than God. And God is at the very, very bottom of the totem pole. And God is on the back burner. He's the last priority in your life. And, and the question I would have to you tonight is, why is it you want God to make you a priority when he's an option? Like, why is everybody getting the best of you and God getting the rest of you? Why does everybody get the real you and God gets the fake you? Why is it everything else takes priority and you love everything else more than you love God? Imagine loving God the way you loved your wife. Imagine loving God the way you loved your kids. Imagine loving God the way you love your TikTok and you spend hours and hours and hours on TikTok. Your life would change, my friend, if you said, God, today, I'm going to love you more than anything else. I dare you for a week to love God more than anything else and watch your life radically change. These men loved everything else over God. John said this, the time is short. It is the last hour. And that was 2,000 years ago. Friend, we are living in the last days. The time is short. Jesus is coming back. And we must know the time that we are living in. He says, you need to wake up. Don't be asleep. Why? Because your salvation is nearer than you first believed. In other words, you thought you had more time. Every single one of us, when the Lord returns, are going to say, I thought I had more time. I thought I had a year or five years or 10 years. And friend, the 2,500 of you live listening right now, you don't have time. I came to tell you tonight to blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, that time is running out, that time is short, and that your salvation is nearer than you first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The time determines how you respond. When you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you find out it's two o'clock in the morning, you don't get out of bed because it's not time to wake up yet. But when it's say 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., you jump out of bed, you get dressed. Why? Because it's time to wake up. And this is what God is saying. It's 10 a.m. You've overslept. The night is here. The, the night is, the day is here. The night is far spent to get up, to wake up. If you're sleeping, tonight is the night to wake up. Paul said, it's the hour. This is the hour to wake up. It's not the week. It's not the month. This is the hour to wake up out of your spiritual slumber. The apathy of sitting around, the lukewarmness, the coasting, the do nothing spirit that some of you have. The spirit that says it's okay to just be here and not really do anything. Just put a little tithe in the bucket and kind of get by. It's time to wake up. It's not time to play games. It's not time to play church. The devil loves more than anything a sleeping church. The devil loves more than anything a sleeping bride. Let's let's look at just for example Samson, okay? Samson was killing people, doing exploits. He's this warrior, this man of God. Everybody feared Samson. Here comes Delilah. She finds out the secret to Samson's strength. Now, we have a picture of Samson being buff and strong and in reality, he wasn't this big buff strong guy. If he was, nobody would be wondering where does your strength come from? Think about this. Why if Samson's this huge buff guy, why is Delilah asking him, where does your strength come from? It would be obvious it comes from his biceps, okay? The reason why she's asking him, where does your strength come from? Because he doesn't look like this big, buff, strong guy. But she's asking him. She finds out after she finally wears him out, which is the enemy's plan. She finds out Samson's secret, but she's powerless to come against Samson until he falls asleep. The devil is powerless against us until we fall asleep. The moment he's sleeping, she's able to shave his head. And I believe the church has fallen asleep and we've allowed the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world to cut off our love, cut off our conviction, cut off our message of repentance, cut off our anointing, cut off the power of God in our lives. And now we are just like Samson. We've lost covenant. We lost our strength and we are powerless to help the world. I mean, come on, guys, the, the, the church right now in America at large is powerless to help the world. They come in. I have demons. I want to kill myself. I'm addicted. I'm strung out. We don't have power to help them. We're like, oh, maybe you should go to counseling, take some pills. They come in with cancer, fourth stage. We don't even lay hands on them. 
We are powerless. Why is the church powerless? Because we're prayerless, because the world has cut off our prayer. They've cut off our convictions. They've cut off our covenant. And so we are powerless to help them. But I believe God is raising up a remnant that says, I'm getting my power back. I feel my hair growing back. I feel my conviction growing back. I feel my boldness growing back. I'm waking up tonight. It's time to do this knowing the time. Do what? Take off darkness and put on the armor of light. Look at the 10 virgins. What happened? They were virgins, but they were sleeping. They were waiting for Christ to return, but they were sleeping. Do not be asleep. Matthew 13. They sow good seed, and then at night, the enemy comes at night while they're sleeping and plants bad seeds. When does the enemy plant seeds in our life? It is when we are sleeping. The devil loves a sleeping church. So here's what we do. Do this. You're all here. Okay, we're an hour in. What are we going to do? Here's what you need to do. Cast off the works of darkness. This is the most important thing you can do. When you get out of bed in the morning, what do you do? You wash your face, you brush your teeth. Well, I hope you do. You, ca- you get rid of all the uncleanliness. Paul says, wake up and cast off the works of darkness. Stop living your life in darkness. Okay, I know repentance isn't popular, but it needs to be. We need to make repentance popular. Holiness popular. Casting off the works of darkness. Cast them off and then do this. Put on the armor of light. Friend, we are in a war and you need to cast off the works of darkness. You can't wear darkness and the armor of light at the same time. So you need to cast off darkness. Come on, somebody type that in the chat and put on the armor of light. And then Paul says this, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Stop giving your flesh resources. (laughs) Guys, stop feeding your flesh. Stop giving into your flesh. Stop making it easy for the flesh to control you. The only way the flesh can fulfill its lust is if you keep giving it what it needs. It needs you to watch porn. It wants you to gossip. It wants you to be angry and bitter and resentful and watch the movies and listen to the music. Paul says, stop giving into what the flesh wants and giving into its desires do not give it provision in other words stop feeding it that's what you need to do okay chapter 14 romans chapter 14 last chapter we're gonna go over tonight this is a very very good chapter one of the best chapters in the book of romans and it's gonna answer a lot of questions and it's gonna get i'm gonna give some hot takes here it's gonna get a bit heated here because paul's gonna give us some very very controversial concepts that a lot of people argue in the church and and the, the context of romans 14 is Have you ever argued with Christians whether smoking is wrong or whether drinking is wrong or whether we should baptize this way or baptize that way or do worship this way or do worship that way? We argue about things that the Bible is not super, super clear on. Okay, these are considered doubtful things. We don't really know. I made a video, if you didn't watch it and you're married, okay, if you're a kid, do not watch it, on what type of sex is okay in marriage. And I talked about a bunch of things that we don't ever talk about in the church and whether they're okay or not. And the consensus for a lot of them was you need to use consent and conviction because if you're convicted about something is wrong, even if it's not wrong and you do it, you're sinning. And this is what we're going to talk about here in the next portion. But these things are doubtful. We don't know. There's doubt because the Bible doesn't make it clear whether certain things are wrong or not. Now, there are things that are for sure wrong that we know of. For example, adultery Adultery is not a doubtful topic. That means we know it's wrong. There's no debating. There's no arguing. There's no one that could go on YouTube and say, we don't really know. We know it's flat out wrong. And here's why, because scripture is clear. We know witchcraft is wrong, because scripture is clear. We know fornication is wrong, because scripture is clear. So you guys getting this? There's some topics that there's no debate are clear, but there's other topics that are doubtful. And this is what Paul is going to describe in Romans 14, okay? Romans 14, one, receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. So Paul is saying, don't argue or debate these things that we don't fully know that are doubtful. The person who is weak in Paul's day is someone who thought food was unclean because it was offered to idols. So they thought certain food was unclean because it had been offered to idols. Certain food was unclean because it was from, you know, the Old Testament said, don't eat it. Paul later is going to say, all food is clean. Okay. There's no unclean food, but Paul is saying some people still think that it's unclean to eat certain meats. So to receive one who is weak literally means to maintain a relationship with them. So he's saying, listen, don't be ungracious handling trivial matters and lose relationship because nobody's benefiting. So for example, if you have a friend that says it's a sin to eat bacon, okay? 
Don't argue with them. Don't lose relationship with them and start saying, it's not a sin and you're wrong and they and you debate and debate. And then all of a sudden, you guys aren't friends anymore. Paul is saying, don't, don't dispute over doubtful things. Not essential doctrines, but doubtful things. Romans 14, two through three. Listen to what Paul says. For one believes he may eat all things. That's Paul. Paul believes you could eat whatever you want. And he says this later, but watch. For one believes he could eat all things. But he who is weak only eats vegetables. Let him who eat, let him, uh, let me say this again, okay? Let not him, as I spill over my microphone, let not him who despises him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So if you, if you only eat vegetables and you think it's a sin to eat meat, don't despise some of us that eat Wingstop. Now, if you eat Wingstop and you despise those that eat only vegetables, don't get mad at them and judge them for eating only vegetables. And Paul's going to show us why, okay? The believers in Rome had been arguing whether it was not okay to eat meat that had been offered to idols. If believers thought eating meat was wrong and they could not be certain, say, say if they buy food at the grocery store, they didn't know whether that food at the grocery store or the market was offered to idols. So they might've become vegetarians and they were vegetarians because they thought, well, if I go buy meat at the market, I don't know if it was offered to idols or not. I'm not allowed to eat food offered to idols. So I'm just going to be a vegetarian. That was what was going on in Rome. Jewish believers whether we're concerned whether they should continue to eat kosher foods okay gentile believers might have believed well christians should be vegetarians because this is what the this is what the jews are saying over here this is what the roman people are saying so paul is saying listen this is the point each of us follow your own conscience on doubtful topics that's the goal is follow your conscience follow your convictions the point is don't go out telling somebody else they're wrong because you're convicted about something so if I say it's wrong to eat meat and I'm convicted about that, but I'm wrong about that, don't try and get me to eat meat or tell me I'm wrong. Let me live by my convictions. It's very dangerous to try to get someone to go against their convictions. If they think it's wrong, Paul's going to tell us it's sin if they violate that. Okay, are you guys sticking with this? If I, if I think something's a sin, for example, eating meat, okay, it is a sin to eat a 10-piece lemon pepper, like I'm going to go to hell, and I go and eat a 10-piece lemon pepper knowing in my mind it's sin, even though God says it's not, I'm actually sinning. And I'm going to show you that later in, in a couple minutes. So that's what Paul is saying. But watch what he says in Romans 14, 4. He's going to make it clearer and clearer as we go. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. So Paul is saying, let God be the judge. Who are you to tell someone they can or can't do something that the Bible isn't clearly speaking on? Now, when it comes to, let me be very clear here, because later Paul is going to say in another book, judge those in the church, okay? When it comes to, everybody, ears as, as open as they can get. When it comes to disputable matters, each individual person is responsible to God, not to a pastor or to people. Disputable matters. I'm constantly saying in my stream, this is my conviction. I don't want my conviction to become your law. Okay, so there's tons of things I know are not general sins, but I'm convicted about them, so I don't do them. For example, I'm convicted about getting tattoos. I will not get a tattoo because it's my conviction. I will not do it. I'm convicted. God has told me not to get them for reasons I've already described in other videos. You can search them on the channel. But I'm not going to get on video and say, everybody that gets tattoos is in sin. It's a sin if you do this or that, okay? I don't know. It's a doubtful topic. So Paul is saying... Let them be convicted. It's, they could be judged by God. You be convicted and you could be judged by God. He's saying, why would you judge another servant? If it's somebody else's servant, why are you judging it? Just because it's sin to you doesn't mean it's sin to me. And just because it's sin to me doesn't mean it's sin to you. If God says, Isaiah, I don't want you watching football anymore. You're addicted. If I watch football, I'm sinning. I'm not going to, so I'm not going to go online and say, Hey, if you're out there and you're watching football, you're in sin. And preachers do that. I'm not going to do that because God didn't say that. God said, for me, it's an idol. That, are you guys catching this? So it's very important that we're talking about disputable matters here. Paul says, who are you to judge another servant? Now, we can all agree if you have a servant, well, back in those days, they did. You're not going to judge somebody else's servant or tell them what to do. And Paul says, we're all God's servant. 
In other words, God is the boss. Let God judge and let God tell you if you're doing something wrong when it comes to disputable matters. For you to judge somebody when they're doing something disputable is sinful and arrogant. That's what Paul says. One commentator said this, actually, all of us differ from others in significant ways. We Christians have different opinions about what a believer should and shouldn't do. Some think women should be ordained. Others violently disagree about women being in ministry. These differences tend to then and now divide believers into subgroups of them and us. And all such antagonistic divisions are harmful to community. They distort the unity and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So don't divide over these issues, okay? Watch this. Romans 14, 5 through 8. One person esteems one day above another. Oh, it's going to get, I know some of you are going to get mad here, but just please hear me what I'm about to say. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. So what he's saying is some people have a Sabbath and you might say Saturday or Friday or Sunday. That's the Sabbath day. It's the most important day of the week. You esteem that day over other days. Some treat every day the same. Okay. They don't have any type of special day they set aside. Then listen to what Paul says. Don't get mad at me. I'm going to quote this. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. <laughs> are you guys, are you guys alive? Type one. I got the YouTube back on my screen. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observe it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, he eats to the Lord. For he who gives thanks, who give God thanks, he does not eat to the Lord. He does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Okay. Here's Paul's point. Live by your convictions. If you don't have a holy Sabbath day, don't yell at everybody saying you have to keep the, the Sabbath holy. This is the right day. Paul says, if you don't observe it, great. If you observe it, great. But here's the point. Be fully convinced in your mind of the issue. Paul is saying, live and be fully convinced and don't try to change others' minds you don't agree with. And this goes against how we are because we always want to be right and we always want to change everybody else's mind to be right. That's not, and Paul is saying, don't do that. And now I'm going to show you further proof and this is going to make some of you even more mad that are like, Sabbath has to be this day and you have to take it holy, all this. But look at this, Colossians 2.16. I'm going to quote Paul because you're going to get mad at me, but I'm going to quote Paul. This is Paul. I quote, okay, beginning of quote. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. The substance is of Christ, end quote. So Paul says, don't let nobody judge you, get mad at you for not keeping a Sabbath or a festival or a new moon or a celebration or what you drink or what you eat. Paul says, don't let them judge you because these things point to Christ. These old covenant realities, they point to Christ. If you keep the Sabbath, Paul says, great but don't make others and don't say they're less than or sinful because they don't keep the Sabbath. Romans 14, nine through 12. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? This is Paul. Or do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give an account himself to God. Do you see Paul's trend here? There's a huge difference between discerning what is right and wrong and imposing those standards on somebody else. Christ is responsible to judge us. Remember, this is about disputable matters, not blatant sin. Now, let me explain this. Later, Paul would write and Paul would say, you should judge those in the church. Don't judge the world, Paul says, judge those in the church. Paul is talking about sexual immorality. Paul says, if somebody is sexually immoral, judge them, judge them. Absolutely, if they're in the church, judge them. But here, Paul says, why are you judging other Christians? What is he talking about? Are you contradicting yourself, Paul? No. Paul is saying, this is about disputable matters, not blatant sin. Later, if it's sexual sin, we judge. Disputable matters, we don't judge. Are you guys catching that? If it's disputable, we don't judge. If it's blatant sin, we judge. Someone said, what about abortion? If a Christian has an abortion, that's murder. It's wrong. We have the right to judge Christians that are doing that in the church. That is not disputable. There's no dispute whether killing a baby is right or wrong. Do you guys see this? Disputable matters, blatant sin. Blatant sin we judge. Disputable matters we don't judge because we're all going to stand before God. Christ is the only person qualified to determine what is right or wrong in disputable matters. I have to make that very clear because I know what you guys are going to say. Well, you said we're supposed to judge people in the church. We are if it's blatant sin in scripture, not disputable matters. This is why the... 
Paul told the church in Corinth, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring the hidden things to light and reveal the, and of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. That's first Corinthians four, five. So instead of using art ability, he says, God will judge us. Romans 14, 13 through 14. If I'm not helping you tonight, I'm helping me. He said, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. <laughs> this is Paul. The same Paul that said, judge those in the church. This is what Paul says. Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or to cause to fall in our brother's way. I know that, I, and I'm convinced by the Lord that there's not a Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, let him, let him, it is unclean. Okay, Paul says this. Paul is saying, I'm at a place, the Apostle Paul is speaking for himself, I'm at a place where nothing is unclean. All food is okay, I'll eat whatever I want, okay? He says, but if you consider it unclean, even though I don't consider it unclean, for you it's unclean. That's the issue. Okay, so for you it is unclean because you consider it unclean. Romans 14, 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. Paul says, if you're doing something to cause your brother to stumble, like drinking, come on, chat. All right, why are you guys so quiet? Or eating meat, then don't do it because you're going to destroy your weaker brother. So if drinking would cause your weaker brother to stumble or eating meat, don't do it because you're destroying your weaker brother by doing it. Romans 14, 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken as evil. And when he's saying this, he's saying, don't let your liberty to eat meat cause someone else to stumble. And then they're speaking bad about you and about God because you're causing them to stumble. Romans 14, 17 through 18. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things, excuse me, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So he's, he's going on to this whole thing of like, it's not really about eating and drinking. Food doesn't really matter. Why is it such a big issue? What should characterize our life is righteousness, joy, and peace. Why are we being characterized and arguing over what we should eat or not eat or whether we should get tattoos or not? This should be the characterizations of our life. Romans 14, 19 through 21. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything that causes your brother to be offended or to stumble or be made weak. So the important thing is the last sentence. He says, don't eat meat and don't drink wine or don't do anything that will cause your brother to stumble or be offended or be made weak. Paul's saying, don't do it. If it's lawful, doesn't matter. Don't do it if it's causing them to stumble. These things might not be wrong, but you shouldn't cause others to stumble. That's the point. If you're doing anything causing other Christians to stumble, you shouldn't be doing it. Ladies, if you're wearing clothing, can, can somebody help me tonight? That's causing somebody to stumble. You shouldn't wear that clothing. Guys, if you're talking or acting or portraying yourself in a certain way that causes other people to stumble, you shouldn't be acting that way. If you're eating something or drinking something or doing something, you don't say, well, that's, that's their fault. They shouldn't be looking. They shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be watching me drink. They shouldn't be watching me eat. They shouldn't be staring. If you're wearing a super low cut shirt or super tiny shorts, it's their human nature to be attracted biologically. Help them out a little bit, okay? Help them out by not wearing it and causing them to stumble. That, that's the point here, guys. Don't do things that cause other people to stumble. Don't blame the guy and don't blame the girl. If you're causing her to stumble, stop doing the actions that's causing... All right, y'all aren't ready for this. Y'all aren't ready for this. Romans 14, 22. Do you have faith? Have it yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Okay, here's what Paul is saying. If you think something's not wrong, drinking, eating, whatever it is, and you have faith and you say, I'm so full of faith, it's not wrong for me because I'm full of faith. Paul says, have it yourself before God. Don't flaunt your faith in front of everybody. And then he says, happy is him who does not condemn himself and what he approves. Some things he says need to be kept between you and God. Don't flaunt it, your freedom in front of other people. Now, let me show you what it says in another translation. I'm sorry, that's going to be the next verse. Romans 14, 23, but he who, listen to what he says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats it because he does not eat it from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. This is the last verse here. And let me show you this very, very important principle. Doubt in the Greek means a red flag or a warning. That's what it means. So if there's something that's a red flag or you feel weird about doing it, you're like, I don't know about this. That's you doubting it. You being convicted. Watch what the NLT says, which is one of my favorite translations. Watch what it says here. 
But if you have doubts, this is Romans 14, 23. If you don't get anything, get this. If you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Okay, this is Paul's point. This is the last sentence of, or the last verse of Romans 14. This sums up the entire argument in Romans chapter 14. If you are convicted about doing something and you do it anyways, that's sin for you. If I say, I know it sounds dumb, but I'm just using this as an exaggeration. I feel convicted about watching SpongeBob. Okay, if I watch SpongeBob or Paw Patrol, I don't know, whatever show you could think of. And I, I just feel really like there's red flags. I shouldn't watch it. And I watch it anyway. I'm in sin. Is it a sin to watch Paw Patrol? I mean, no. Is it a sin to watch Peppa Pig? Come on. I have four little kids, obviously. No, it's not a sin to watch Peppa Pig. But if I feel a red flag or like it is a sin, it becomes a sin. That's what Paul is saying. And Paul's saying, if, it, if you do something and you don't think it's wrong, you're blessed. Do it freely with no conviction. But if you feel convicted about something, don't do it. So there are disputable matters that the Bible doesn't talk about. How many know the Bible's not exhaustive? It doesn't have everything. There are matters that are disputable that if we do them, we should do them with no one around if we don't feel convicted about them. But of course, the blatant sins, someone said, yeah, if you have mayo on your Oreos and you don't feel wrong about it, then do it. But I would feel convicted about eating mayo and Oreos. It would be sin for me. Really though, it's, it's, it's funny, but really... Anything in life that you feel convicted about becomes sin to you. So it's very dangerous to cause someone to go against their convictions. Let's pray. Wow, I'm getting really, really good at this. I had exactly one hour on the teaching tonight of this of this video. And, to, and next week will be our last book of Romans. I know, crying face. Let's pray. Father, we pray tonight in Jesus' name that you would empower us to live a clean, holy life before you. Father, we are asking you tonight in Jesus' mighty name that we would walk in the spirit, that we would act in the spirit, that we would not cause other brothers and sisters to stumble. But God, we would wake up tonight. God is saying it's time for some of you to wake up. There is a trumpet sounding. There is an alarm going off in the spirit. God is waking his people up in these last days. Father, I pray that you would wake up those that are sleeping. I pray, God, that you would wake up those that have fallen asleep in the light and they would wake up, they would cast off the works of darkness I pray tonight, Lord, you would give us the power to cast off the works of darkness. I pray tonight, Lord, we would no longer, come on chat, we would no longer give provision to the flesh. We would no longer give into our flesh, but God, we would give into our spirit. We would provide provision for the spirit, that we would walk in the spirit. We would talk in the spirit. We would live in the spirit. God, we want to live clean, holy, righteous lives before you. So we pray tonight in Jesus' mighty name that, God, you would do what only you can do in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Lord, empower us by your Holy Spirit. For those of you that have been judging everybody, repent right now. It's a sin to judge people on disputable matters, according to Paul. He says it's corruptible. It's a sin. Father, if we've, if we've judged those on disputable matters, I pray you would forgive us, Father. Not sin, not blatant sin, disputable matters. I pray, Lord, that we would not be the judge, but you are the judge of these matters, God. And we would walk righteous before you. I pray that, God, our convictions would be alive and would be strong and would be clear on what we can and can't do. And those that aren't convicted, let them walk in that. And those that are, let them walk in that. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, give us strong convictions. Lord, give me strong convictions as I walk in your spirit, as I walk in your power, as I walk according to holiness. I pray, Lord, do what only you can do in my life, in my mind, in my marriage, in my family. Lord, I don't ever want to do anything to offend you. I don't want to do anything that is against my convictions, but let me walk in holiness and love and power in Jesus' name. Now's the time to wake up. God is saying to you tonight, salvation is nearer than you first believed you thought you had time you thought oh maybe i have 10 years but god says it's nearer than you first believed now is the high time to wake up out of slumber now's the time to get up do not let delilah shave your head do not go to delilah's barbershop any longer do not give in do not give in to the works of the flesh but i pray lord in jesus name that we would not give in that we would not be sleeping some of you don't don't let I feel, I, feel, I feel this is a word. Don't let a car crash be your wake-up call. Don't let sickness be your wake-up call. Why not just wake up now? Why not just wake up now before something shakes your life to cause you to wake up? Don't be the foolish virgin that's sleeping, that's waiting, but asleep. Let us be awake tonight in Jesus' name. Let us walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I pray over every person in the chat, God, that you'd bless them and that you'd anoint them and you'd empower them anoint them with your Holy Spirit fire 
that it wouldn't take a car crash. Don't let the next time you go to church be when they're carrying in your coffin. Don't let that be the next time you go to church when you're already dead, when they have to carry you in in a coffin. Let's, let's get in the house of God. Let us wake up to the reality of the things of God. Let us start serving God. Now's the day. Tomorrow's not promised. T- today could be your last day to pray. Today could be your last day to study. You don't even know if it's your last day to journal. You don't even know if it's your last day to seek the Lord. So let us seize the day for our salvation is nearer than we first believed. God is saying tonight, take off the darkness. Come on, just go ahead and take it off. Put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. That's what you're called to wear. God is looking for some people that would put on the armor of light. Lord, tonight we put on the armor of light and we walk in the armor of God. And we thank you, Lord, that we're going to do this. Do this knowing the time to wake up and cast off darkness. That's what you should be doing. We literally have instruction on what we should be doing right now. We should be casting off darkness. We should be waking up and we should be putting on the armor of light. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your spirit and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Guys, I want to encourage you tonight. We've been live for about an hour and 20 minutes. If you're new, so into the broadcast. If you're old, so into the broadcast. I would say every week, don't dine and dash. We are going to hang out for a bit and talk with the chat. Why is, oh, there it is. There it is. Oh, sorry, blasting the music. I was wondering why it was gone. Um, I want to encourage you guys to sew into what God is doing. It is literally like 105 degrees in my studio right now. I don't know what is going on. I have a fan full blast on me. I'm soaking in sweat right now. That's, I don't even know why I said that side topic, but if you want to give, you can, if you're listening on Spotify, Google, or Apple podcasts, you can give on IsaiahSeldover.com slash partner. We do appreciate every single one of you giving. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.